Welcome back to uh, Logically Faithful. This is Caldoon Swice, Season 3. I'm excited about it. I hope you guys are doing well. Uh, in this particular lecture, it's a, uh, a theme that I picked up on in my Philosophy of Religion course at Olive Harvey College. It's a short lecture I gave there that was pretty interactive with some of the students. It's based on perfect being theology, which talks about the attributes of God. God being the maximally great or excellent or un surpassable being who is in himself the very essence of perfection and omnipotence, omniscience, perfect goodness, worthy of worship, etc. So what I'll be doing here is going through some of these other attributes of God and hopefully you will uh, you'll enjoy it and get something out of it. If you do, once again, guys, it, it means a lot to me. If you leave a review, um, make some comments on the Facebook or the Twitter shares of this thing, um, that'll help... Um, uh, the ministry and help me uh, continue doing what I'm doing or leave a review on iTunes. Thanks much. I appreciate you. Let's go ahead and get started. October 7, 2013. Let's continue. Now we're talking about the attributes of God, philosophically speaking. Now we're talking about God. Remember, God is the Theos, the supreme of the supremes, the absolute of the absolutes, the highest of the high. And that would be something that St. Anselm would call the being from whom no other can be conceived greater. You cannot conceive something greater than God. If you did, that would be God. So what is God? The very word God, what does it mean? It doesn't mean whatever you want it to mean. This here on the PowerPoint that I have in front of you is in the, the Blackboard that you can download. Are some of the main attributes of God. The main attributes of God. For example, I have some attributes. One of my attributes is being 5'11", being an educator, right? Uh, being a father, uh, sometimes I'm a speeder. I've got to slow down. No, that's some of my attributes. What are the attributes of God? And here's some of them. Let's go through them together. I appreciate your insight, feedback, criticisms, and comments on these. The first one is called the necessary existence. Necessary existence. God exists necessarily rather than contingently. God exists necessarily rather than contingently. What I mean by that is God must exist. God doesn't have an option not to exist. I have an option not to exist. Apples cannot exist. This chair might not have existed. Somebody may have not constructed this building. Somebody may not have hired me and the teacher may not be here. But God is the being who is absolutely necessary. It's necessary for God to exist. If there is a God, God is necessary. Rather than contingent. I mean, contingent meaning relying upon or, or has a connection to something else to rely, make it exist. Um, for example, I rely on oxygen. I rely on gravity. I rely on my biological existence. God doesn't rely on anything. Rather, everything relies on God. Omnipotence. Oh, excuse me. The second one's not omnipotence. It's omnip. Yeah, omnipotence or omnipotence. This is omni is a word for all. Potence, power. God has all power. Uh, a more under better way of understanding it is saying God has maximum power. Maximum power. Maximum power. God's role as creator of the cosmic divinity. What that means is, if anything you could possibly imagine that can happen, God can do it. Create 500 billion more stars, no problem. Make you 15 feet tall, no problem. Walk on water, not an issue. God can do anything you can imagine. But what you can't imagine, even God can't do. And here's what I mean by that. There are things limited even by God. And that is limited by the very nature of God. If you were to tell God, God, please make me a married bachelor. Please make me a married bachelor. 
That's impossible. The very word bachelor means I have no wife. To say I have a wife and not have a wife is impossibility. It's a logical impossibility. Um, to say, God, uh, please make a square circle. I'm begging you, God. No, God doesn't do square circles because square circles are nonsense. It's not like God's limited. They're just nonsense. Nonsense. Nonsense is still nonsense even if you add the word God to it. Uh, God, tell me the weight of my sister. I want to know her weight, especially if her suicide. God says, no, that's not possible. Aha, there's something you can't do, God. My friend, you don't have a sister. And if you don't have a sister, nobody can know her weight, even a being who has all knowledge. Yes, sir? I think, and, and this might sound bad, but I think God doesn't know everything. I think, I believe that, I believe that God lets you choose your own path. Like the whole reference back to cards. I feel like that he, I feel like that he, he really doesn't know how your life will end. He knows how, he, how, he knows how it will begin. But I believe that he'll know, he doesn't know how it ends. That's fascinating. How do you know that's true? I'm not saying, I didn't say it is true or not, but I, I just what I believe. But you believe it. You wouldn't believe it unless you believed it was true. And I'm asking you, how do you know that? Okay, well, starting back from um, Adam and Eve, see, while me and my mother was having a discussion. Uh-huh. So back, you know, going back to Adam and Eve, she, she was like, so, she asked, she was like, so what was the purpose of him sending a snake into the Garden of Eden? I was like, I don't believe that he knew that that was going to happen. But how do you know that he didn't know that? That's my question. I mean, just by, just by seeing it, just by listening to the story, you know, you just take... So that's your interpretation of the story. Right, that's what I'm saying. How do you know your interpretation of the story is true? I mean, that's, that's the story. That's the story of the Bible. But it's not that it said, it didn't say that he didn't know it, but I'm just saying it's what it seems like. It's it seems true. like, but that doesn't mean it must be true, right? Well, I didn't say, I didn't, I, I'm not saying that it's, I'm not saying that it's, it's false and I'm not saying that it's right. I'm just saying this is... Well, okay, interesting. What I recommend you do is dive into that position, get some research behind it, and strengthen your argument. You may actually change your mind when you go into it. Interesting. You know. Thanks for expressing it. Yes, ma'am. Um, I had two questions, but I'm just going to say one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see that you guys up here for Western tradition. Isn't this something like all religions kind of generally, like far as in like the up higher being, like the God? No. Uh, Hindus believe something different, so do the Taoists and others. Um, what I'm talking about why Western tradition is a God revealed by Moses on the Mount Sinai. Okay. God Yahweh, so Adonai, okay. yeah, that God, specifically referred to in the ancient scriptures that's accepted by Jews, Christians, and Muslims, and majority of people in the West. Um, the others disagree on that. They say they have a different conception of God. But so no, no general conception that it is just the ultimate highest, like, you know, what you should kind of... Uh, yes, that part, the, even the Hindus would agree with. Okay. There is it's the highest. Yeah, good question. All right, I have omnipotence. Omniscience, maximum knowledge. Does God know everything? God knows everything that can be known, yes. But there are some things that can't be known and even God can't know. Like, for example, my sister's shoe size. Because I have no sister. I have no sister. There are some who argue God doesn't know the future, which is a problem, because if you read the ancient scriptures, God knows all the future. Matter of fact, makes prophecies with explicit detail in that sense. So God not only knows what you'll do, he knows what you might do. What you might, might, might do in a certain situation, given different circumstances, God knows all that. Um, now, the question comes up about free will, which is a whole interesting paradigm question. Let me continue because of the interest of time. I'll come back to you, sir. Omniscience, um, omnipresence. It says God is everywhere present at all times, keeping all things into being. So God is everywhere. Uh, the ancient Psalms, as David said, uh, 
Behold God, you are all places, and any place you, are be, you will be. Uh, if I make my bed in Shiloh, you are there. Everywhere you are. Be, you are. Um, the ancient story of um, Jonah, I think it was a prophet Jonah, who tried to run away from God, which was kind of absurd because God's presence is everywhere. You can't get away from God. Which is, I find fascinating that people who are very religious go and be very religious in their religious tradition, in their church or their synagogue. But when they walk out of that in the nightclub, they're a different person. As if God is not in the nightclub as much as He is in the church. He's everywhere. He can see it all. So it's fascinating in that sense. Oh, by the way, the demonic also works in both places. Yes, sir? I forgot the question. All right. <laughs> On the presence, meaning God is present everywhere. He's intimately aware of everything. So right now, if a spider starts walking on my head, I'll know about it. So God's, the world is like God's body. Everything that happens in any intricate detail, God knows about it automatically. It's not his body in the traditional sense, but it's some way he's aware of it. Anything that happens, he's automatically aware or knew about it before it even happened. Yes, sir? So God is omnipresent and he's everywhere. Then what's the point of actually getting up on Sunday morning and going to church to worship when you can just do it as a prayer? Because he commanded it. <laughs> Uh, uh, it's in the book of Hebrews, by the way. Uh, by the way, um, one of the reasons people join churches, and I say this sociologically, is the same reasons people join gangs, a sense of community. And when you have that sense of community of people who are right, true, righteous, holy, um, uh, humble, loving, caring, that helps you be that way too. And that community helps you grow. And when that community is together, you become better at it. And you can actually focus your mind better when you have people around you who will accept the same propositions you do. It works in reverse too, by the way. Well, that's why you got to get away from the gang and get to a better community. So the church is like a gang, and that's a Well, it's a good gang in a sense that it helps. Yeah. <laughs> then don't go to that church. <laughs> go to the one that helps. I'm part of a church where uh, we have helped hundreds of thousands of children get fresh water. Uh, helping kids in Caprini Green, reaching out to the community, to the downtrodden, the poor. That is what church is supposed to do. Help the people, not uh, condemn the people. And provides evidence, but not compromising about it. Not just becoming whatever the world is, but becoming different than the world. But that's a whole interesting question, isn't it? Alright, eternality. God is absolutely unchanging and hints above outside of time. Eternality meaning God is, we as people are immortal. God is not just immortal, God is eternal. There's a difference. Immortal means we live forever. But eternal means you never had a beginning. And you'll never have an end. We had a beginning. God does not. God always existed and will always exist. That's what it means eternal. That means you can't shut God down, impeach Him, or kill Him. Eternally speaking. Jesus is an interesting example of God being killed. That's a physical sense. So the spiritual sense of God always existed. Um, implausibility. Implausibility. God cannot be moved by desires. His motivation implies change. Meaning, um, if I get so angry, I may do something that I shouldn't have done, right? Uh, or if I get so passionate, I do something with love that I shouldn't have done. God cannot be controlled by his desires. He controls his desires. Right. That's what that says. But doesn't mean God doesn't have desires. He does. Uh, plausibility. Simplicity. God has no parts. He's absolutely unified since God is not generated. Everything in the universe has parts. Except our souls and God. Here's what I mean. If I take this thing, I can break it down in different parts. This I can break in different parts. I can break my body into different parts, but I can't break me into different parts. Me, the entity, is not physical. I have a spirit. Spirits don't have parts. God is spirit, doesn't have a part. 
Uh, first cause, first mover. God is not only the first cause of the universe of all contingent beings, but also their final end or natural goal. What they all seek or desire. All things seek ultimately to be connected to the Creator in one way or another. Every single desire you have is legitimately placed there by God. Every desire you have. The desire for sex, the desire for work, the desire for food, everything all placed there by God. Now, you can take these desires and use them for good, profitable, wonderful things, or use them for negative, destructive things. The same desire I can have for sex, I can legitimately fulfill with my wife, or I can illegitimately fulfill with the secretary. Or the uh, girl on the street or something like that. that, that it's the same basic desire, but it can be fulfilled in a wrong way or positive way. The same basic desire to support my family. I could do that by working hard, providing a good substance under the table, or by prostituting myself. Uh, I could, the same basic desire is there. How you use it is the distinction. And that comes from God being the first cause of all of these. Aseity, God exists absolutely from God's self, absolute independence and originality. God, ladies and gentlemen, is by definition the only being whose reason for existence is in himself. All of us have a reason for existence outside of us, except for God. The very reason for God is within God himself. God is the eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, uh, implausible, simple, first cause of all, of all the universe. That would be called the aseity of God. The absoluteness of God comes from God himself. Uh, maximum goodness, benevolence. God is the absolute standard of goodness, the source of all value. To be united with God is our ultimate happiness or blessedness. Let me give you an example of this. I'm going to close. How many of you like cosmology? Science. Uh, if you were to study stars, stars, ladies and gentlemen, are the batteries of the universe. The stars provide all the energy for every planet, every molecule, every amino acid comes ultimately from the source, the sun. Gets rid of the sun, the whole universe will collapse. And then the other ones around it. The whole galaxy will collapse. It has a sun, excuse me. Then every other one will collapse. That's what a black hole does. Sucks the sun in. Then everything else is gone. God would be the example of the sun. Everything in the universe gets its energy, its source its for life, comes from God. So the closer one gets to God, the more energy one gets, the more power one gets, the better one gets, the more happy one gets. The further away you go from God, the darker things get, the more chaos things get. That's true in this natural scale. Take a look at our universe where we have the sun. The further away you get from the sun, the more chaos you have in the universe. Things just start scattering all over. The closer you get to the sun, you have more order. If you read the cosmic scales of all the planets perfectly aligned with each other, it's amazing. Um, the closer you get to Sunday, you have that. However, if you don't have the right nature, and the nature is not redeemed, getting close to the sun will destroy you. It's a fire. God is a living and consuming fire, as much as he is love and holiness. So, maximum goodness implies justice as much as it does love. People tell me, I don't believe that God judges people. Well, you just need a judgment, first off. And secondarily, um, in order for you to be good, you must be harsh on evil. If you're not, then you're not very that good at all. You must. Now, being harsh on evil is different than being harsh on people. You can provide forgiveness and still deal with the evil. It's a whole different category. All right. That concludes the um, attributes of God. Thomas, questions, discussion on those. Um, I yes, ma'am. This is my second question. Um, so how does Satan and the devil and all that play in with the fact that I understand that there's good and he's the ultimate and all that, but how is there another evil spirit that's allowed to take control 
Right. Yeah, interesting. The, the question of the demonic and the devil yeah. is fascinating. Some people think that the devil or the demonic is the opposite of God, in the same way right. cat is opposite of dog, up is opposite of down. That's not the case. God is the being which goes back to the safety of God who has no opposites. There is no opposite to God. There is no opposite of power. The devil is traditionally speak, spoken of as known as Lucifer, which in Hebrew means the angel of light, who was very at the very throne room of God, who was called an archangel. And turned from God and said, why should everyone have to worship you? Why can't I get it too? And his pride asked to, uh, had him kicked out of heaven. Him and hundreds of thousands of angels. We don't know the number. Uh, were removed from heaven. And that being called the devil is the leader of those. But he's, infer- he's created by God just like everything else. It could be squashed by God just like I could squash an ant. But God allows him to exist to mold the character of his people who are around him. Uh, adversity helps us grow. And I think that's one of the reasons God allows the devil who Martin Luther called God's devil. Martin Luther called him God's devil because he could do whatever he wants with him. But, uh, so the devil's not the opposite of God. He's created by God, used by God for other purposes. So, yes, sir? So the devil is not eternal, right? No, he's created. He's a lot wiser and a lot more powerful than a lot of us could imagine. Well, I think he'll exist forever, but he didn't. But he had a beginning. He'll exist forever, but there will be places called judgment where he'll be. Okay, so people could say that he was created, but will be here forever. Then who would say that God wasn't created? Because yeah, right. Like nobody yeah. I recommend you look at uh, recommend that you read the cosmological argument about who created God or where that came from. The argument shows in logical detail that God must by existence be the only first cause and the ultimate cause. Well the devil doesn't imply that. Let me just give you a classic example of that. Um, good. The last attribute, maximum goodness. Goodness implies evil. You cannot have evil unless you first had good to corrupt. So you can't have a drunk man unless you first have a sober man. You can't have a, 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 a convict unless you first had a good citizen. You cannot have rust unless you first had steel that was pure. Okay? Hold on, let me follow. Good, I mean evil, is a parasite. It requires good to suck on in order for it to exist. Evil cannot exist without good. But good can exist without evil. You can be a good man without having these negative characteristics. But you can't be a bad man unless you have some good characteristics. Even the devil has some good characteristics. Such as speed, intelligence, immortality. Those are good characteristics. No. God is the ultimate being who has the, uh, the fulfillment of all that is good and holy and pure. Well, at this point, my lecture ends abruptly with the uh, end of the audio feed there. Well, just as a summary, what I did is I talked about the attributes of God, and there are so many in theological circles. Uh, And the ones in this particular lecture that I covered were the necessity of God, where God exists necessarily uh, rather than contingently. God's omnipotent. That means he's omnipowerful. That means he can do anything that can be done. Uh, he's omniscient, so it means he knows everything that can be known. Omnipresent, omni again meaning all. He's available everywhere and at all times, keeping all things into being. Uh, he is eternal. That means God is absolutely unchanging and hence above and outside of time. 
God is implausible or impossible is what the term is. God cannot be moved or by his desires or uh, controlled by his desires. God is simple in nature, uh, meaning he has no parts, absolutely unified whole. Uh, in in uh, the monistic tradition of theism, uh, which is Islam and Judaism and Christianity in some sense, God is seen as this unified one being. Uh, Allah Wahad in uh, Islamic theology, that means God is one. Uh, in, in Jewish theology, it says, oh, Lord our God, Behold all Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The word Lord there is plural, actually, um, which Christians uh, picked up later on. And expanded upon, and in the New Testament, God is not some homogenous being of one, but God is three in one, three persons, three who's, one what? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three personages in one incarnate, one being who is incarnate, and the man, Jesus of Nazareth, who is fully God and fully man. So that is makes it much more complicated, of course. <laughs> but it's fascinating. Uh, God is, has a saity as part of his nature. That means God exists uh, absolutely from himself. He doesn't need anything, uh, not, but everything needs him. Uh, maximally good, omnibenevolent. God is the ultimate standard and source of all goodness. And finally, God is holy, completely other and different than anything or anyone else in all of the universe. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, says the old hymn. And it comes from the book of Isaiah when he meets God and he's, the angels proclaim God is holy three times. Uh, there's some Trinitarian theology there, but God is holy, meaning different than anything or anyone can possibly imagine and maximally awesome and great. So that's a summary there of the attributes of God that I just uh, gave you there. By the way, if you're interested in having me speak or come out to help encourage and inspire some of your groups, whether you're your civic groups or your church groups or your college groups or your organizations, go to my website, Logically Faithful. There's a tab there called Speaking. Just click on it and uh, fill out the form. And I'll try to get you guys in the schedule. Sometimes it fills up fast. I can also just zoom in. <laughs> That's how we're doing things now with Corona. Anyway, uh, blessings to you all. I uh, hope uh, things go well. Keep in touch uh, on um, social media. I hope that you would leave a review or share some of the information I have here. That would help me do what I'm doing. I appreciate your encouragement. God bless you. Bye-bye.